Welcome to the Diane Podcast. Diane, or Diversity and Inclusion in Asia Network, is the leading network of companies and professionals committed to advancing diversity and inclusion in their organizations in Asia. Leveraging a decade of expertise and thought leadership, we hope this podcast inspires, educates, and motivates passionate individuals like yourself. My name is Tina Arcelia, Senior Manager at Community Business, and I manage the Diane Network. With us today is Nadine Vogel, founder and CEO of Springboard Consulting, a global organization that aims to successfully mainstream disability in the global workforce, workplace, and marketplace. They are, of course, extremely well known for the Disability Matters Conference and Awards Gala. Nadine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Nadine, in conversations we've had before today, what has always struck me is your passion for, as you say, mainstreaming disability. Can you share with us where that comes from? So people with disabilities and, and success in working in the workplace is so important to me on not just a professional level but a personal level because I have two children with disabilities. They are ages 26 and 18. Uh, one is a college graduate and working and the other is in college. And so I see firsthand in my own home what happens when companies are not open to people with disabilities and acknowledging that they have the same skill sets, education, background, and can do all the same jobs. Um, the concern is, is when they are um, misled, if you will, by seeing someone maybe with a visible disability and then making assumptions as, as a result of that. So for me, it is both professional and personal, and um, anything that's personal usually makes you more passionate. So although you are based in the U.S., you have done quite a lot of work in Asia over the years. Could you share how you first got involved in this part of the world and the kind of work you've been focused on? Absolutely. Um, so when Springboard first started uh, 13 years ago, our intent was to be a U.S.-only organization. However, we um, solely work with global corporations, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, and what quickly happened was the chief diversity officers, um, heads of HR, heads of marketing, they were coming to us and saying, Nadine, why do we have to try to find a springboard in every country that we operate in? You know, I have responsibility for our folks in, you know, 30 countries or 50 countries. Can't you really serve us across the board? Shouldn't we be thinking more strategically and globally even though we're going to act locally? And so obviously that made a lot of sense and that is how we got started. So with really, you know, our very first clients, we started um, learning, spending time in Asia, in Europe, in different parts of the world, um, having experts to work with us that, that have expertise specific to um, these different countries. And what we learned was that not only are the issues the same, although we have legislative differences from country to country and certainly cultural differences, the issues around mainstreaming people with disabilities, disability inclusion is the same. And for the most part, many of the best practices that are out there um, 
are really also the same. You know, we may have tweaked the approach a little bit, but we did find that they are much the same. And we were very fortunate, I think now maybe 10 years ago, nine years ago, to first get involved with community business. Um, I, I should, for anyone who's listening on this, I, I should give community business an amazing plug because you are a fabulous organization. You know, it, and in terms of how you look at disability as an integral part of all the strands of diversity um, within Asia, it really made sense to us why we were doing this work globally and, and more specifically in Asia. Um, we found that the other thing that, that we reinforce with folks that we work with, especially if it's maybe a U.S. company that is global and wants us to do work for them in Asia, is that we need to educate, and we learned this ourselves early on, we need to educate them that disability in Asia, there's really no such thing. It's really understanding, are we talking about the needs of folks in Hong Kong? Are we talking about folks in Thailand? Are we talking about Japan? That even within Asia, there's, there's very big differences and we have to acknowledge those as we move along. Definitely agree with your country by country approach. That's something that we at Community Business advocate as well. We actually have plans to do country specific disability guides. And thank you Nadine for that shout out. Going back to when you first worked with us at Community Business, I believe that was one of the first DNI conferences we held in Hong Kong over 10 years ago. Correct, correct. And then from there, I started working with you with Diane um, and, and, and then going from there. That's right. We've leveraged your expertise over the course of the years and have referenced you in our various studies on disability in Asia. Looking at where we are today and moving forward, what do you see as key emerging issues relating to disability and are any of these specific to Asia? Yeah, um, you know, issues related to disability inclusion, you know, change over time, they morph, um, certainly, you know, awareness and education, all of those things are the same. But I would say more recently, we, we have seen a few things really bubble up, if you will, um, taking more of um, a prioritization within the planning that companies are doing around this work. So one is around mental health. Another is what we like to call the invisible 9%, and, um, which represents the employees and customers who are parents of children with disabilities and caring for children. Um, and then the third being disclosure and the differences between disclosure and self-ID. So I'll start with mental health. Um, one thing we have to really get our arms around is that mental health is just as important, it is just as real, and needs to be addressed just as much as physical health. We have a tendency to be more open and understanding around physical health. So if we see someone who uses a wheelchair, as an example. Um, mental health is more stigma around, and I will say that no matter where in the world we go, that is true. I do find in Asia specifically, um, and I would say, again, to be more country specific, in, um, in Japan um, is, is one country that stands out a lot, the, the stigma is even, is even higher. But what's very interesting is that what we are finding in many countries in Asia is that they're really taking this topic to heart and realizing that we have to educate. And when I say educate, what we're doing um, specifically in Asia are, are 
educating folks around what does mental health really mean? What does it look like? Because everybody has very different uh, opinions or thoughts about what that means. It doesn't necessarily mean someone's going crazy. It doesn't mean someone suddenly is so depressed they can't get out of bed in the morning. Those can be true, but there are more subtle uh, forms of mental health that we see or maybe perhaps don't recognize in the workplace that impact work. So we're doing a lot of what we call awareness sessions where we're educating folks on what it looks like, what are the different ways in which we can respond and support. So the same way that there are a myriad of accommodations for someone with a physical disability or someone who is deaf or is blind, there are accommodations that are often more appropriate to someone who is dealing with different types of mental health issues. We also educate on issues around you know, what's appropriate to say? How do we engage appropriately? So if someone specifically is, let's say, out on our short-term disability for mental health and they come back to work, what we find is often the coworkers are afraid to ask, how are you doing? How do you feel? For fear that this person is going to suddenly say, oh, my God, it's terrible, it's awful, and you won't know how to respond. Right? Or managers are afraid to ask for, feel, for fear that they will get into some kind of compliance-related issue, depending on how that conversation goes. So, you know, in summary about mental health, what Springboard is really finding is the greatest need and what we're doing the most in Asia specifically is educating on awareness, awareness of what mental health looks like, the different forms it comes in understanding that it comes and goes, people aren't necessarily born mentally ill, educating on accommodations, how best to accommodate, and then really on the last part is how to engage. And when I say engage, you know, it could be someone coming in for a job interview. So how do we engage and understand it and be accepting of even bringing someone in to the workplace knowing that they have mental illness, not just addressing it once we find out after they're an employee. So lots of, lots of issues around that that are easily resolved. The next one I mentioned was the invisible 9%. 9% of most workforces today are made up of employees who are caring for a child or other dependent with special needs, with disabilities. And you might think, well, how is that important? The child does not come into work. They're not in the office. But it's very important. And the reason is a few things. One. That parent is not protected in the same way legislatively, no matter what country we're in, as someone with a disability. So we do have protections that we shouldn't be discriminating against them because they have to care for someone with a disability. These folks are often afraid to come out to disclose, um, have photos on their desk of a child maybe in a wheelchair because they don't know what kinds of questions they're going to ask, answer. They don't know if people are going to assume that if they're out you know, and not in work for a day or a week that it has to do with the child. They're not comfortable perhaps answering questions. Some companies have to take your daughters and sons to work. Very often these folks were afraid to do that. Um, these folks really need an understanding relative to the employee benefits and health benefits that go on at a company, understanding the needs of their children, understanding that they often as a special needs parent are experiencing mental health issues. So going back to that topic, there's definitely connectivity there. 
So again, we're doing a lot of education and awareness of what these issues are, why it's so important to acknowledge and address, why it's important to look at benefits and other things that these individuals need so that they too can be successful in the workplace. And you know, like we talk about with LGBTQ, people with disabilities, bring their whole selves to work. That's so important. The third topic that um, we have spent an enormous amount of time on, um, especially more recently in Asia, is around the topic of disclosure. And again, it comes back to what I just mentioned about folks being comfortable to bring their whole selves to work. But there's also confusion among people with disabilities uh, and companies about what disclosure really means. Um, is it anonymous? Is it non-anonymous? If I tell my manager, what's going to happen? Do I have to go to HR? Um, one of the things about disclosure is that we did research and we interviewed employees with different disability types, different companies, different industries, and different countries, including across Asia. And we asked them what their, their issues were or comfort levels around disclosure. And what you would mostly think, coming from a corporate standpoint, is that the answer would be, well, we're afraid of how we'll be treated after we've disclosed. And that is true, but that was the number two reason that we received across the board. The number one reason was that they did not know how. We educate, we as companies educate managers on if someone discloses how to appropriately respond, what to say, how to help the individual. We have not spent time educating people with disabilities on how to appropriately disclose. You know, not to, when to do it. We heard from folks that they would tend to do it at um, performance review. Well, that's not the best time to disclose. Or they would do it in a public space because they were afraid of how the manager would respond. That may not be the most appropriate. So what's really become a best practice um, in Asia, many of our clients are using, is a disability disclosure guidance tool. And what it is, is it's not telling someone if they should or should not disclose. Rather, it is something you put on your intranet site and it walks through different scenarios and helps individuals think through the benefit of disclosing, how to do it, when, where. There's even a section for managers and how to appropriately respond or get additional information. Um, you can customize these disclosure tools so that you can put links on there that reinforce why your company is a safe place for people with disabilities and safe to disclose, safe to engage. Um, so it also reinforces that you're an employer of choice, if you will, for someone with a disability at the same time while it educates. Another best practice that has really come to the forefront is the issue of um, what we call video vignettes. If someone was to come to you with a disability, and let's say you work in HR, and they say, well, I was born with X, but my disability is invisible. I'm not sure if I should disclose or not. What do you think? You really can't advise them. So instead, we've created these little video vignettes where we have two actors, and they're very short, kind of role-playing scenarios and answering these questions for each other. People can view these and say, oh, that's like my story. I can identify with that and then therefore make a good decision for myself. 
The idea is to arm these people with the tools that they need so they can make good decisions around disclosure, decisions that they can be comfortable with, and that not only benefit them, but benefit the company, their employer, at the same time. So there are many, many other, you know, issues, if you will, but these are the three that we've really seen emerge the most in the last maybe 12 to 18 months and, and specifically in Asia. That is really interesting, Nadine. A lot of what you've shared is around the need to educate and dispel that fear and uncertainty, having space to have real conversations and to mainstream disability. I love how you highlight how disability impacts more than the person with disability. It impacts their parents, their spouses, their children, their whole family, really. And we need to consider the mental health and well-being of these invisible 9% as well. As you know, community business are expanding the focus of our work to mental health and overall well-being here in Asia. Now, in your time working here in Asia, what are the main things that you've learned that has influenced your broader approach to working with companies in helping them address disability? What we have found in Asia more than in any other part of the world is that the culture of the different countries in Asia is very much one of we want to take care of people who are sick, people who have disabilities, almost like it's a, it's like a medical model of disability, right? Looking at it as someone needs our help and support, a cause to support, if you will. And I think it stems from, you know, the, the culture, uh, which is, I think, wonderful of caring for our elders, right, which we don't always see in other parts of the world. The challenge is people with disabilities don't want, especially in the workplace, don't want to be viewed as a cause to support. They want to be seen as an equal, as someone who is just as educated, talented, has the skills, and can do the job. That doesn't mean that they may, may not need an accommodation. They may, but many people don't. And so I think the one thing that's my takeaway and the one thing that I, that I ask everyone who's listening to this to take away is try, in as much as your heart tells you you want to help these individuals and, and you see them as a cause and you want to provide support, resist that urge and rather take a step back and look at them as your equal, as your colleague, and take the approach of how would we bring our colleague into our workplace. Um, if you do that, that mindset shift will make a tremendous amount of difference, not only for the person with the disability, but for the company itself and the success that you have, not just with hiring people with disabilities, but truly retaining them and retaining them so that they're successful and, and move up, you know, the ladder within an organization like everyone else. Right. Absolutely agree. Everyone needs to be seen and valued for their abilities. So Nadine, as we wrap up, what would your parting words be to our audience? I would, I would like to thank everyone for, for listening to this podcast. You know, sometimes it's all it takes is the first step. Taking, listening to this podcast is like taking that first step. It's arming yourselves with information and guidance so that then you can take it back to your organizations, understand this, this plethora of practices and say, okay, for my company and my responsibility, what is the best thing for us now to tackle, to do? You can't, you know, there's a saying, you can't boil the ocean. It's going to be one step at a time. And not only is it important what you do, 
but the order in which you do it. So I would just like to thank everyone and, and certainly if anyone wants additional information, you know, you're welcome to reach out to me directly. Um, my email is nadine at consultspringboard.com or you can reach me through community business. Um, but thank you and I wish you all the best of luck. Thank you, Nadine, and thank you all for taking that first step with us. We hope you will continue to take more steps forward as we mainstream disability and build disability confidence together. Join me next time as I speak with Suzanne Price of Price Global as we unpack Asian challenges. <laughs>